0: Welcome to my nameless podcast that is devoted mostly to geeky things. I'm your host, Tom Wade, and the goal of this podcast is to talk about the things we love. Movies, comic books, books, TV shows, music. And hopefully, in each episode, we can share in a topic or two uh, the love of the things that bring us this joy. Marley was dead, to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner scrooge signed it and scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to old marley was as dead as a doornail welcome to the ninth episode one dedicated to a tale for the darkest night of the year a tale of cold hearts being warmed A tale of greedy desire being forsaken. A story of ghosts, regrets, fears, hopes, and redemption. Inspired by a resurgence of the Christmas holiday in mid-Victorian Britain, Charles Dickens wrote his tale of the miser Ebenezer Scrooge being visited by three apparitions on Christmas Eve to force him to face his own coldness and greed near the mid-1800s. Being first published in 1843, it actually sold out and uh, by the end of 1844 was on its 13th edition. But really, even A Christmas Carol, it's not really all that devoted to being a religious conversion. It's an attitude conversion. The success of the story did not result in a financial success from it necessarily uh, to the point where he even sued the publishers. Dickens also did make money by doing live readings up until his death in 1870. It's interesting to note that while his family was middle class, by the time he was 12, Dickens' father was in debtor's prison and this forced Dickens to sell his possessions leave school, and work in a factory. Of course, we know that he grew up in the end to be a renowned author, but his work was really driven by a a moral rage, uh, a moral outrage in regards to how our world treated the poor and working class. And this is really at the heart of A Christmas Carol. This is truly my favorite Christmas story, and this week I want to explore it through the lens of the original writing and various adaptions. Specifically, I'll be focusing on what I feel are the best and strongest adaptions. The Alistair Sim version from 1951, the 1984 George C. Scott version, the Patrick Stewart led adaption, Richard Donner Scrooge, and the Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll touch lightly on a few others, uh, but those are the ones that I feel represent this tale and in some cases even expand and bring out the best in it. Now, I first saw A Christmas Carol on the stage at the Minneapolis Guthrie Theater at about age five or six. Um, And when Marley appeared on stage, I was both terrified and mesmerized. One of the reasons I love A Christmas Carol is that it's a legitimate Christmas horror story. It is redemptive, of course, but horror itself can be redemptive. From then on, it was a tale I guarded close to my heart. I love the characterization of Scrooge through the journey. How you see those cracks begin and eventually all his defenses just fall away. Now, Dickens' novella is actually quite quickly paced, uh, broken down into five staves. For those unfamiliar, (coughs) um, me, uh, a stave is a musical term. It, It wasn't that there's a reference for it as a term for prose writing, but specifically it is a set of five lines separated by four spaces. Each of those lines and spaces represents a different musical pitch. Dickens made this separation to indicate that each section of the tale is a distinct story with its own tone. Now I had seen various incarnations over the years before reading the novella, and one surprise to me was that Dickens doesn't name anyone other than Marley and Scrooge in the first stave. And yet this really makes sense. We're being shown just how cold and impersonal Scrooge is. Even his nephew Fred is simply the nephew. No, here we are meant to understand who Scrooge is. A greedy miser with nothing he loves or cares about beyond his money. He has no love for his fellow man, and the people around him are a nuisance. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out a generous fire. Secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge, No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain, the snow, and hail, and sleet. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas could boast of the advantage over him in only one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. They were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen, referring to his list. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr Scrooge or Mr Marley? Mr Marley has been dead <clears throat> Mr Marley has been dead these 7 years Scrooge replied He died 7 years ago this very night We have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner said the gentleman presenting his credentials It certainly was, for they had been two kindred spirits. At the ominous word, liberality, Scrooge frowned, shook his head, and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of year, Mr. Scrooge, said the gentleman, taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? asked Scrooge. Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses? They are? Still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say that they were not. The treadmill and the Poor law are full of vigor, then? Both very busy, sir. Oh, I was afraid, from what you had said at first, that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course, demanded Scrooge. Are they still in operation? I'm very glad to hear it. An abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, this is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. "'Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude,' returned the gentleman, "'a few of us are endeavoring to raise fund, to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. "'We choose this time because it's a time of all others when want is keenly felt. "'Many can't go there, and many would rather die.' "'If they would rather die,' said Scrooge. They'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, observed the gentleman. It's not my business, Scrooge returned. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. You would think that this is a character who you would not want to spend much time with. And honestly, he isn't. Scrooge can't even muster up love for his own nephew. A merry Christmas, uncle. God save you, cried a cheerful voice. And it was the voice of Scrooge's nephew who came upon him so quickly that this was his first intimation he had of his approach. Bah, said Scrooge, humbug. He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost, this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all aglow. His face was ruddy and handsome, his eyes sparkled, and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, uncle. You don't mean that, I am sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew gaily. What right do you have to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Bah! and followed it up with Humbug. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be if I could work my will? Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle, nephew, what else can I be? When I live in such a world of fools as this, Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older? But not an hour richer. A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through around dozen of months presented dead against you. Keep it, but you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then, said Scrooge. Much good may it do you, much good as it ever has done you. There are many things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned the nephew, Christmas, among the rest, but I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time, when it has come around. Apart from the veneration, due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be, apart from that, as good a time. A kind forgiving charitable pleasant time the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open up their shut hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound upon other journeys and therefore uncle though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket. I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. And when you see Scrooge's home, it's as dark and cold and lonely as his life. It's haunted by... nothing. And so when Marley enters his chambers and warns Scrooge of his own chains, chains... Forged by his lack of love and compassion, we discover a world where justice can be a lesson that is learned far too late. For Marley, life beyond death is one of constant wandering, of seeing need and being unable to fulfill it, always knowing that in life he could have. Scrooge is shocked, really, by this because In his mind, the one thing about Marley was that he was a good businessman. And so they revisit Scrooge's life through the years. Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy... Forbearance and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of the water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chain at arm's length, and as if that were the cause of all its unavailing grief and flung it heavily on the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raised to them that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost my time is nearly gone i will said scrooge but don't be hard upon me don't be flowery jacob pray how it is that i appear before you in the shape that you can see i may not tell i have sat invisible beside you many and many a day that is no light part of my penance pursued the ghost I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring Ebenezer. And then Scrooge is warned of the impending visits of the three spirits. The only hope for avoiding the fate of Marley. The ghosts arrive. First, the spirit of Christmas past. And when Scrooge asks which past, he is told his past. And the first crack in his armor occurs. For it is in the past that we see Scrooge was a lonely boy spurned by his father who could not forgive Ebenezer for something that was not his crime, his mother's death. His only true familial love is Fan, his sister. And it is this love that ends up being one of the first blows against his humanity. For when Fan dies young, it takes a part of him with her. One that ultimately costs he and her son a genuine relationship for decades. We do get to see that Scrooge was able to enjoy a celebration as he watches a Christmas uh, gathering from his boss, Fezziwig. And here we see him become defensive as the ghost mocks Fezziwig. It's a very key moment showing us that Scrooge is already starting to contradict himself. During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene and with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything enjoyed everything and underwent the strangest agitation. It was not until now when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned away from them that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him while the light upon its head burnt very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, "'to make these silly folk so full of gratitude. "'Small!' echoed Scrooge. "'The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices "'who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig. "'And when he had done so, said, "'Why, is it not? "'He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, 3 or four, perhaps.' Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark, and speaking unconsciously like his former, not his latter self. It isn't that, Spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil, Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant that it's impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. He felt the spirit's glance and stopped. What's the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing particular, said Scrooge. Something, I think. The ghost insisted. No, said Scrooge. No, I-, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That- that's all. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave utterance to the wish. And Scrooge and the ghost once again stood side by side in the open air. And we also see that he was capable of falling in love at that time. For as an apprentice to Fezziwig, he meets Belle. And even though they plan to marry as time passes, she sees him more concerned about money and breaks off their plans. And instead of trying to salvage things, Scrooge simply lets her leave and grows colder. The ghost takes the time to show Belle's life years later, one with a loving husband and a wealth of children And he witnesses them lamenting how lonely and sad Scrooge's life seems. It's in stave three where we meet the spirit of Christmas present. And this ghost starts off with a very jovial voice asking asking Scrooge to come and know him better. Uh, He's pretty much always represented kind of as a Santa Claus-like figure, a bearded man with a wreath upon his head of of holly and ivy, um, a long flowing satin, I guess, like red satin robe and carrying a torch that is able to bestow Christmas blessing. And so he walks Scrooge through the streets on Christmas morning bless, uh, bestowing blessings through, on the citizens who are out to celebrate. People walking the streets to get their ingredients for their meals. People who are going to church, carolers. And then he takes him to the home of his clerk, Bob Cratchit. And there Scrooge gets to see Bob's family. And this is where the the things take a turn. We'd already seen how he, viewing the past, Started to cause him to warm and fall, find his humanity. But here he starts to find new the ability to sympathize again with another human being. And at first he's kind of like, "Hey, when when Bob's wife expresses uh, a, a anger over Scrooge and how little he pays." the meager income that they get from Scrooge, Bob stands up and says, this is our, this is that we, we should thank Scrooge and wish good of him because he, Bob takes that, 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 Hey, we should be happy with what we have, but you really do understand the anger of Emily, um, of his, of, of Bob's wife. And at that point, Scrooge is kind of like, hey, you know uh, it, this Bob's right they wouldn't even have this much if not for my generosity which just gets a huge rebuke from the uh, from the spirit and this is one of the things that I am Truly fascinated by the story because the the ghosts don't really show a lot of patience when he tries to defend himself. The the ghost of of the present mocks his his attempts to defend himself and then kind of digs the knife in, looks upon the sickly, tiny Tim. He becomes concerned about Tim's future. And so the spirit turns to him and tells him that he sees an empty chair uh, in the future, that his his next kin of kin will not see Tiny Tim next year. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, We'll find him here. But what then? If he be like to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh no, kind spirit, say he'll be spared. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost. In the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. And what then? If he be like to die, he'd better do it, and decrease the surplus population. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none of If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race returned the ghost, will find him here. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in your heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked can't until you have discovered what the surplus is. And where it is, will you decide what men shall live and what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life amongst his hungry brothers in the dust. Shortly after, he's taken, and then after that, uh... After after that, the spirit takes, after that, the spirit takes, after that, the spirit takes, why if, his mother loved his uncle, then there absolutely must have been something there to love. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit, and was overcome with penitence and grief. I have no patience with him, observed Scrooge's niece. Scrooge's niece's sisters and all the other ladies expressed the same opinion. Oh, I have, said Scrooge's nephew. I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't even come and dine with us. What's the consequence? Everybody else said the same, and they must be allowed to have been competent judges because they had just had dinner, and with the dessert upon the table, were clustered around the fire by lamplight. Well, I'm very glad to hear it, said Scrooge's nephew. Do go on, Fred, said Scrooge's niece, clapping her hands. He never finishes what he begins to say. He is such a ridiculous fellow. Scrooge's nephew reveled in another laugh, and it was impossible to keep the infection off, though the Plum Sisters tried hard to do with an aromatic vinegar. His example was unanimously followed. I was only going to say, said Scrooge's nephew, that the consequences of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is, as I think, that he loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. I am sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it. I defy him if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something And I think I shook him yesterday. Now, as I've noted, the ghosts tend to have little patience for Scrooge. But Christmas present is the ghost that makes the harshest critiques of the injustice and ill treatment of the the poor and the working class. And he leaves Scrooge with this. Scrooge had observed this change. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older. Scrooge had observed this change, but never spoke of it until they left a children's twelfth night party. When looking at the spirit, as they stood together in an open place, he noticed that its hair was gray. Asked Scrooge, are spirits' lives so short? My life on this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight, cried Scrooge. Tonight at midnight. Hark! The time is drawing near. The chimes were ringing the three quarters past eleven at that moment. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, said Scrooge, looking intently at the spirit's robe protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw for the flesh that there is upon it, was the spirit's sorrowful reply. Look here. From the foldings of its robe it brought two children, Wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of its garment. Oh man, look here. Look, look down here, exclaimed the ghost. They were a boy and a girl, yellow, meager, ragged, scowling, wolfish, but prostrate too in their humility. Where graceful youth should have filled their features out and touched them with freshest tints. A stale and shriveled hand like that of age had pinched and twisted them and pulled them into shreds. Where angels might have sat enthroned devils lurked and glared out menacing. No change, no degradation, no perversion of humanity. In any grade, through all of the mysteries of wonderful creation, has monsters half so horrible in dread. Scrooge started back, appalled. Having them shown to him in this way, he tried to say they were fine children, but the words choked themselves, rather than be parties to such a lie of such enormous magnitude. They are man's, said the spirit, looking down upon them. And they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both, and all of their degree. But most of all, beware this boy. For on his brow I see that written which is doom. Unless the writing is erased, deny it, spirit. Are they yours? Scrooge could say no more, cried the spirit, stretching out its hand towards the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your factious purposes and make it worse and bide the end. Have they no refuge or or, or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the spirit turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? Finally, Scrooge finds himself alone with the ghost of Christmas yet to come. This spirit is a silent spirit, one that lacks an audible voice. But the images it chooses to share with Scrooge all have their own bite. There are people who mock a man's death, a body beneath a sheet, As it becomes crueler and even more cynical, Ebenezer starts to beg for someone with kind thoughts about the dead man, only for it to be a couple with the hopes that his death might result in an easing of their burden. He gives up and just begs for someone, anyone, who feels sadness regarding a death, and he's brought face to face with the Cratchit family, who are still in mourning over the loss of Tiny Tim. The ghost shows him more images, including death, a lonely death and an empty death. And so he pleads, am I the man who lay upon the bed he cried upon his knees? The finger pointed from the grave to him. No, no, spirit. No, no, no. The finger was still there. Spirit, he cried, clutching its robe. Hear me, I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I'm past all hope? And for the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, he pursued as down upon the ground, he fell before it. Your nature intercedes for me and it pities me. Assures me that I may yet change these shadows that you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try and keep it all year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In his his agony, he caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself, but he was strong in his entreaty and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding his hands up in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration to the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, the bedpost was his own, the bed was his own, the room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own, to make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. O Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. The story closes on Scrooge playing a joke on Bob as he uh, enters the office late the day after Christmas, making it sound like Bob's in a lot of trouble for being late. But he really just cannot contain himself and instead announces that, yes, he's going to raise Bob's salary, but that's not it. That's not where it's going to end. He wants to help the family with Tiny Tim. He wants to make sure that Tiny Tim has a chance to live. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins, as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with the spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. Well, If any man alive possess the knowledge, may that be truly said of us and all of us. And so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. And truthfully, film is how I am most used to experiencing this story. So now I'm going to talk about the five, in my opinion, best film adaptions of A Christmas Carol. It's important to note that I love all Five of these adaptions. I believe they are all worth watching each year around this time. These are all great, but I firmly believe some are better than others uh, on certain levels. I'm going to work from the great to to the best, I guess. It's kind of hard to determine how to phrase this when I think these are all very worthwhile adaptions. Now, this first one will will be rather controversial. I've seen plenty of people who claim this is the finest adaption, the greatest adaption, the pinnacle of adaptions of the Dickens classic. It's not any of those things. It's one of the greatest adaptions, and it's always worth a watch. It has wonderful performances. It has infectious and joy-filled songs. Brian Henson's The Muppet Christmas Carol is a deliriously fun take on the tale. Using the beloved Muppet cast for the majority of the characters, uh, it really kicks in that nostalgia for any of us who grew up with Kermit, Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, and Gonzo the Great. Now, Gonzo is in the role of Charles Dickens, who, as the narrator, who doesn't appear in his story. He he didn't insert himself as the narrator of the story. Um, But it it works really well because it, it gives a nice framing device for the story, Uh, And also allows there to be a lot of humor as he's accompanied by Rizzo the Rat as they tell this tale. Um, So it's it's got a lot of wacky jokes and and puns. Uh, That's a big part of things here. Of course, Scrooge is played by Michael Caine and, as you would expect, does a lot with the role. He's... I, I feel like the script kind of makes Scrooge a bit softer at the start. Like, it's not a surprise that he is... To me, I don't feel like he's so beyond hope. Um, but Kane himself brings enough to overcome that. Uh, because it's Michael Kane, people. And of course... Casting Statler and Waldorf as the Marley brothers was a stroke of pure genius. The ghosts are very imaginative. It's really one of the only attempts that I can recall. And I've seen a lot of adaptions. It's one of the only ones that I recall that actually attempts to capture the book's description of the the spirit of Christmas past being a child but not a child. Um... Though there's there's more of like a, a little little baby, <laughs> a little talking baby, but it's cute. So why is this number five? The redemption is is we don't get a lot. See Ebenezer's relationship to Fred is of great importance to the story. It is not a small thing, and not only does Fred get relegated to a pretty small part in this version, his mother, Fan, is almost non-existent. The death of Fan is a key part of Scrooge in his life, and really, we do not see much in the conversion Everything is just summed up in like a four to five minute song, which is a fun, catchy tune. And you see Scrooge going around and singing the song and being happy with all the, the different Muppets. But he just walks in and, and and gives Fred some gifts and walks off. We see nothing of the building of that relationship, the healing. and And that's, That's such a beautiful part of the story. And and taking that away makes this a hard one where it makes the story feel lighter to me. It's fine for a family film, but it blunts the impact. It is a funny, warm-hearted, and it's always a fun watch. Again, I watch this every year because I do love this film. But it does lack some of the punch of other adaptions. Again, this movie is great. And I do not blame people for watching it every Christmas season. I don't blame people for loving it. I love it too. It is not bad. It does not suck. It's good fun and entertaining. And it's a noteworthy adaption. That's why it's in this list of five films. But again, this is a good adaption. Please understand, I'm not saying you're bad for loving this film. I'm just saying that there are stronger emotional adaptions. There are ones that are more powerful. But this is a great one to introduce your kids to the story. I really do believe that. I I think it has a lot to offer in, in the end. Now, another adaption worthy of a watch is Richard Donner's 1988 Bill Murray vehicle, Scrooged. Unlike other films that I'm talking about here, this one is updated to the present. Well, I mean, 1988 and America. To make its critique, Murray plays the ruthless television network president, Frank Cross. The hook here is that he is in charge of the network's upcoming live performance of A Christmas Carol, starring Mary Lou Retton as Tiny Tim and Buddy Hackett. As the Scrooge and it's narrated by America's favorite old fart John Hausman. Of course there are other analogs besides Frank being the Scrooge character. Uh, Alfred Woodard is his put-upon assistant Grace. She's got a son who hasn't spoken since seeing his father shot. Now Grace is one of the uh, Bob Cratchit stand-ins but it's also split with Bobcat Gulsway, uh, who plays Elliot. Elliot Loudermilk who timidly suggests to Frank that the promo Frank presents for the special is going to scare people and then finds himself fired and losing everything for standing up to Frank. There's also uh, Claire uh, who is in the role of Belle and she's a true humanitarian played by Karen Allen and that that whole they kind of do that a little differently um because in here rekindling that romance is kind of a part of the story but the uh film quickly shows us just how much of a jerk frank is through things such as firing elliot um and and enjoying watching him be kicked out of the office uh stealing an old woman's cab mocking homeless people, tossing aside an award he gets for his humanitarian work. Uh, He gives network towels as gifts to his family and his employees. I mean, what a bonus. And of course, high-end VCRs to rich people. But then he's visited by his old boss, Lou, uh, played quite charmingly by... uh, John Forsyth. and he warns him of the three ghosts that are coming. Part of the charm of Scrooged is how it inventively adapts the ghosts. Uh, the Ghosts of Christmas Future is actually one of my favorite variations because it's, it's still the large cloaked specter that we see in other versions. But when you look into the cloak, uh, into his hood, you see a TV screen inside the cloak that flashes very intense and scary images, skulls, uh, views of where they're going. Sometimes it's the perspective. Uh, it's perspective is what we're going to see Frank do. Why, you know, like when he walks out into an area, um, it's really, it's really a, a cool look. David Johansson plays an kind of elfish version of the uh, ghost of Christmas past. And he's a cabbie, scar chomping cabbie. Um, uh, it's David Johansson from the New York dolls. And uh, you know, also Buster Poindexter himself. Uh, he drags Frank through his history. And like the best, the ghosts just have no patience for Frank and his attempts to portray himself as better than he is. Carol Kane, uh, is a, a bit of delirious and, well, violent fun as the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, the This is a pretty star-studded affair, and it is a lot of fun. Some of the humor maybe has not aged well. Uh, a lot of the jokes, there, there, there are jokes that hinge heavily on being familiar with old TV, uh, which wasn't so old back in 1988. And I think... it can sometimes some of it can feel like a rather cynical film at times but it's really also weighted by some really great emotional bits um like uh there's a scene where he sees Claire in the future and she's now no longer working with the poor instead she's having a luncheon with her hoity-toity-lady friends, and they see some children at the window watching them eat, and she demands that the maitre d' go and shun shun those kids or push those kids away. And her friends are like, oh, Claire, they're just children. And she looks, and she's like, yeah, I used to think that way too, but then a friend set me straight. And told me to scrape them off, using his words, to just scrape them off. And with a lone tear in her eye, she turns and she says, thanks, Lumpy, Her the nickname she had for, for Frank. And Frank, Bill Murray has this look of such embarrassment of shame in that moment and he looks at the ghost and he's just like that was a terrible thing to do now like the Muppet Christmas Carol it really rushes the redemption part though I think somehow the way they do it here is kind of uh, is is a fair bit of fun uh and ever since this movie I whenever Christmas rolls around, I listen to Put a Little Love in Your Heart. Uh, To me, it's become a Christmas song. Now, the third place goes to the adaption that most closely follows the novella, uh, and that is the TNT Hallmark television movie from 1999. This was a pretty big deal when it aired. Uh, It was like a massive special. Um, Patrick Stewart had been doing one-man shows that he had written, Uh, of A Christmas Carol. And really, Stewart just has that air of being a classical actor. Like, even though I know him from Star Trek and the X-Men, the tenor of his voice says Shakespearean actor to me. And he does not disappoint. He really just brings Scrooge to life beautifully. One of my favorite moments is when he realizes he's still alive after the ghost of Christmas yet to come. He starts to laugh, but at first it's almost as if he's choking. Like he can't, he, he has not laughed in so long, it's not natural to him. And then once the laughter spills forth, oh, it, he can't stop laughing. I'd say the digital effects in this are very, very hit or miss, and in some cases, extremely miss. Uh, But it also uh, is anchored by a good performance of Bob Cratchit by um, Richard Grant. And Stuart just really sells the emotion here, so that I don't really pay much attention to those digital effects. And this film really does realize how important each character is to Scrooge's story. They capture Scrooge's hesitation when coming to Fred's home. Like, Stuart just paces, and, and he's going to go up there. And yet, when he is accepted and welcomed in by Fred and Fred's wife, he's humbled and filled with joy. Now, for what I feel is the second best adaption, is the 1984 TV movie adaption uh, starring George C. Scott. To be truthful, this version is kind of what I tend to see in my head when I think of both Scrooge and Marley. Um, <clears throat> though I think the animated 2009 Christmas Carol, uh, that was uh, the mocap one starring Jim Carrey, uh, was had an exceptional marley but it also features a standout performance from edward woodward as the ghost of christmas present i I just his disdain for scrooge's lack of humanity drips from every word after a while and uh you know just as it's such an excellent approach this the, the performance he gives It's kind of funny because Scott performs the entire thing in an American accent, while the entire rest of the cast is British. And yet you pretty quickly forget about it because Scott's portrayal feels entirely perfect and totally spot on in the attitude, in in the voice. And when he apologizes to Fred, this, this version, it gives this wonderful hint that He saw so much resemblance to fan that it was painful. And instead of seeing this as a blessing to have their love of fan to share and to grow as a love for each other, there was resentment. And it's just a really beautiful moment when when he uh, apologizes Every time I watch this film, I just feel so rewarded. It actually chokes me up when I watch that scene. Now, the same can be said of the adaption that I've got at number one. Uh, It's, in fact, there's a connection between the two. The 1951 adaption starring Alistair Sim and the 1984 version. Uh, The George C. Scott adaption is directed by Clive Donner, who was... Uh, the editor on the 1951 film. This one is also known as Scrooge, and that's actually the title card in the version I own. But one of the things I noticed in this one is the choice to have Christmas past uh, portrayed as an older man. I mean, he just looks older, but it, it still works. Um, and... His character, his character, actually, the the Christmas past kind of dominates this film. Uh, they add a new scene which features uh, Scrooge at Fan's bedside as she's dying. But he's so heartbroken. He's so overwhelmed that he storms out of the room and he never hears her dying request, which is that he raise Fred. So here we have an elevation of that story between Fred and Scrooge, um, and that scene it is so effective. This version gave, gave us a lot of additions, for example, showing Scrooge and Marley uh, getting control of their boss's company when they discover he was embezzling money. Uh, like I said, it focuses heavily on Scrooge's past. And this works really well. It just really kind of lays out the the process of his life leading to where we found him at the beginning of the story. I do think the ghosts are a bit kindlier in this version, but they do take their moments to remind Scrooge of his words still. Uh, That's always an important and integral moment. But really what makes this one work so amazingly is... It all comes down to Alistair Sims' performance. He makes this wonderfully unpleasant and bitter man, but also as the story unfolds, you you really do find yourself hoping for the best in the end. And his redemption feels palpable and convincing. And you 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 just feel his joy and jubilation. Now again. All five of these films are great representations of the Dickens classic. They all ultimately carry forth the message of justice, compassion, and eschewing greed, and they also focus you on redemption and the fact that this is the one wet life we have. Do not squander it on greedy pursuits. Mankind should be our business. To be frank, this world we live in, and especially America, Greed and justice have been treated with scorn. Selfishness and greed rule, and we need to refuse to accept that. We need to stand against cruel and unjust laws and treatment of people. We need to refuse to accept cruel leaders. We need to stop shaming people who may need assistance. If you see someone using an EBT cards to... Buy their kid a birthday cake or get crab legs or a nice steak. Grow up. That's not a crime, people. There's not something wrong with them doing that. Stop being the type of person who shames people for that. Stop being a scrooge asking if there are no debtor prisons or workhouses. Stop pretending that if you pay a meager wage, you deserve credit for that. Look out for people when you have the power to do so. Make sure people have warmth and love and that they have dignity when circumstances seem to be interfering with that. Carry joy and love with you every day. And if some jerk thinks that makes you foolish, do not care. They're forging their own chains. I know this episode has been ridiculously long. And if you actually listened to the whole thing, maybe I was too ambitious and you've all given up. But if you made it all the way to the end, I hope hope you got some reward out of this. I hope my love for this story came through and might actually make you appreciate the story even more if you did already. And I'm sorry for saying that the Muppet Christmas Carol is not the pinnacle of the story adaptions. So have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. Uh, Keep the spirit of love, compassion, and justice in your heart year-round. Fight for peace on Earth and goodwill towards all. Bye! Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, I am Tom Wade and I can be found on Instagram and Twitter under at Tom Wade. That is at T-H-O-M as in map, W-A-D as in delta, E. And until next time... Take a moment for yourself to relax with something that brings you joy. A story, a song, some art. Maybe take several moments.